Hey everyone, welcome to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont's location, where each week you will hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. Today, we look at what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. How do we do that? How do we know what truth is? Does it usually happen only on Sundays, or is this something we ought to do every single day? Join us as we hear from a special guest, Torquem Garibedian, from Spring of Life Church, Belmont, on what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I pray that after listening to this message, may your relationship with God grow stronger each day. How do we rate get right with God? How do we really know that we know Him? Because in the Bible, the word know, when you see the word know, it's always talking about experience. Knowledge, book knowledge, is actually the worst part. If I know the gospel cover to cover, and many theologians do and don't believe in God, if I know the gospel cover to cover, but I don't know Him in my heart, like the Bible understands, it's knowledge that's useless. Actually, it will serve to, on the day of judgment, you knew about it and you didn't believe it. So knowing, when Jesus says they will know, the word know means know by experience, know by a fellowship, know by a relationship. For example, if you're going to get married and you know about a girl or a guy, right? What happens? I knew about my wife when I met her, right? I, and then I, I didn't know a lot, I knew a lot about her, but the moment I started knowing her is, then, is when I entered a relationship with her, is when I wanted to know more, is when I wanted to go have fellowship, is when I wanted to be one with her. So we understand that know, knowing about is so different than knowing the person. Amen? So God's desire from the beginning of time has been to have fellowship with us. God said, let us make man in our image so that, not physically, because God is spirit, but God placed all his attributes, so relationship with God is very natural for humanity. So that which was lost, God's desire was to reestablish. And throughout the Old Testament, God sent prophets, God sent the law, God sent people who would remind us that he is there, but the law or anything else was not enough for that fellowship to be reestablished. I will just give this example about uh, the, if you go to driving school and know about the rule of driving, you don't become the perfect driver. You know about the rule of driving, right? So what was going to make us right with God was knowing, having fellowship with the only one who has seen the Father. Amen? So I want to tell you very early on in the book of Jeremiah what God says through the mouth of the prophet. And look how deep it is. This is so prophetic about the coming of Christ. Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. There will be a time which will be right when I want it, when it is proper for me to show the true knowledge to humanity. At that time, and this is verse 33, by the way. uh, At that time, there will be a covenant that will happen. A covenant is so different than a promise. Promise is you want something you can break any time. Covenant had to be sealed with blood. So people of the old times understood what covenant meant. So covenant will make the people, it will be a covenant between two parties. God himself, 
and the people of Israel whom he calls by his name. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. Note, knowing in your mind would not be enough. He says, but I will engrave it in their hearts. Now it will be different. So far they only knew in their minds. And he says, I will be their God. As a result of it, I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So no one will come to say, know the Lord. It doesn't mean they will not be teaching and preaching in the church. But it means that knowing the Lord is a zone which will be very personal. Knowing the Lord will be not about knowledge. It will be an encounter. Amen. So today when we come to know the Lord, when you are in this service today or when you come every Sunday, the drive should not be to have Sunday service. It should be the drive to know the Lord. I want to hug the Lord. I want to be one with the Lord. I want to know the truth, not shades of the truth, not what people teach me about the truth, but I want to know Him, the truth in person. Amen. So this is a promise about Jesus. And God's desire is to make you experience that. You know, the greatest repeller of the lie is the light. The greatest repeller of darkness is the light. Because otherwise, it's, if you take anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus, you're going to start an endless debate as to why they're wrong and why you're right. But when you give them an encounter with Jesus, when you show them why Jesus, when you show them, when you bring them to that altar where they see that I'm a sinner and I need him, all arguments come down because no philosophy can match that amen jesus says they will know the truth john 8 32 and the truth will set them free so the truth comes in a dark place and there's no more darkness he will lay everything bare to light and you will see everything exposed to light and then healing happens amen so are there many truths is there only is there only one truth or is truth accessible to all humanity? These are questions you get faced with. You may meet a very young, nice person or a very old man who has books of, uh, years of studying and is a very wise man. And they tell you, no, this is the truth I accept and believe. Is there only one truth? And we're going to see in a minute. In the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus are very polarizing. If you go through the Gospels, Jesus is, of course, the nicest person, but his words are always very polarizing. He is, I am the truth, the way, the life, right? He never says a truth, a way, a life. So Jesus, if you look at him from outside, you can think either he's completely off the mark or you're going to say, maybe he's true. And if he's true, I don't want to make this chance pass by my life and not grab it. This is what happened to me, actually. Uh, for years... I grew up in a very traditional setting, and I knew God only from tradition and rules and prayers by heart and all these things that I did honestly. But there was a point I said, I, how much of this I'm doing by osmosis, or how much of this I'm doing because of my family, and how much of this is because I really know him? And this was a scary moment because I said, what if all of this is not true? And what really broke the deal for me, what what's really sealed that encounter was, I said, okay, even if it might be not true, I cannot go by it without experiencing it. I want to give it a chance in my life. I want to see, is this truth something I can experience? And if it is, I want it. And this is what brought Jesus into my life. 
So let's all turn to John chapter 4 together. John chapter 4, which will make this message very clear to you. And it's the encounter at the well. We're going to read from chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Now, he had gone, he, Jesus, had gone to Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me to drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answers, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there are a few things I need to clarify here. Jesus was in a foreign land. Israelites would not associate with Samaritans. Actually, they would even call them dogs because there was a, a, a long-standing separation. They were initially part of, the, part of Israel. They were one of the 12 tribes and their descendants of Joseph. But their traditions changed over time. They accepted pagan worship in their lifestyle. They did foreign marriages. And God's, God's covenant was not with them. God's, they were not among God's people anyway. So Israelites and Samaritans stood very far from each other. Geographically close, but no relationship. So Jesus was doing something unheard of. Something crazy. Because Israelites would not accept that thing. And that's why he waited for his disciples to be away. Why? Because they would never accept or understand why he was making that happen. And this, what this shows here is something very deep, a very deep truth. No matter where you are from, no matter who you're going to preach to, no matter who is the person that needs to be reached by God's love, there is no barriers. Because the, Jesus showed in this verse that no religious barrier, no cultural barrier, no geographical barrier was enough to hold the truth to come into that heart. Jesus would go for that one person who's thirsty. And he will use you and me for that. Jesus can do all things by himself, but he has empowered the church in the end times to do his work. He says in John 14, 12, that who, those who love me and believe me will do my works and greater than my works because I'm going back to the Father. So Jesus has tasked us as well to be that voice in Samaria, in Belmont, in Cambridge, in Massachusetts in general. Because wherever you shine that light, there will be restoration. There will be healing. Amen? So God, in all religions, you see that there is a code of conduct. There is a moral law. And you see that if people abide by it, God would show them mercy. In Christianity, it's completely different. 
You see God reaching down. Jesus did not place regulations on this lady to even talk to her. He went to talk to her when she was not worthy. You're going to see in a minute that she had a very wrong lifestyle, but that would not stop him. He was after her heart. How many times we stay away from a person because somebody told us something about someone, right? Somebody tells you a bad report, so let's say you have a problem with her, and you tell me something about her, and I haven't met her. And then I meet her, I don't want to talk to her because you told me she's evil, right? So Jesus did not let anything he knows because he knows, he didn't, like, he didn't let anything he knows about that lady keep him away from her. Because that would keep this lady away from the truth. Another person would say, oh, she's dirty. I'm going to stay away from her. She, she's not going to accept Christ. She's not that person. He said, I'm going to go there and show the love that I have come to give. And that light, that will, will become knowledge in their heart. And she will know the truth. And the truth will set her free. Amen? So, the lady argues and says, are you someone greater than our forefather? Because you don't even have anything to take the water, to, to pull up the water. He, she doesn't realize who's talking to her. And she's so, you know, she's so materialistic at the time. She's only thinking about the water she's going to drink. And Jesus is literally telling her, only if you knew what I wants to give you. What he was talking about was not only eternal life, it was the Holy Spirit. It was the life, the abundant life he promised. It's the life that will cover the multitudes of sin. It's the life that will bring you into a fellowship with God. He was going to offer her something amazing. So the conversation goes forward and he tells her, I'm, going, I'm, not, I'm not going to read it. He says, he tells her, go and please call your husband. And the lady says, I don't have a husband. And then he tells her, you said it right because... You've had five husbands, and the one you live with is not even your husband. Now you say, this is the nice Jesus. Why is he pointing fingers, and why is he hurting this lady? He, you know what? The truth always comes to do surgery. The truth always, always comes to make you whole. And for, for us to, make, to be whole, for us to enter the truth, for us to have that covenant, there is something that needs to be eradicated. I'll give you this in that example. Let's say you take a cup of water. And you put, it's very crystal clear, and you drop one drop of ink inside. The whole color changes. It's the same with our lives. Sin is what pollutes our relationship and keeps us away from God. But God wants us. He says, I know you have sin, but I want you. I want to have fellowship. And God hates sin. But God doesn't want to keep us away. He wants to do something because he can't have us and the sin together. What did he do? He says, I know you can't do it by yourself. I'm going to take that out of your life. I'm going to cleanse your life in a way that, so that I can have you in my presence. The only thing God cannot have in his presence is sin because he's holy. This is why Adam and Eve were cast out from the Garden of Eden. because Not because of a punishment. Because God could not have Adam and Eve in their sinful state in the Garden of Eden in his presence. Now there was a separation. And God says, this separation is not good. It hurts my heart. I don't want my people to grow under the weight of sin and suffer away from me. This is not his desire. Many people say that um, certain people are unreachable. Um, how many of you have heard this as an excuse that we give? Oh, I'm not going to talk to that person. I know what he's going to say. He's not reachable. He has a life that's 
evil or he has, he's no way, there's no way he's going to accept God. Sometimes people are ashamed and that's why they, sh uh, they stay away from God. They know that they're not standing on the truth and coming to the truth is very uncomfortable. What Jesus did with this lady was exposing the sin not to condemn her. He was exposing the sin because he wanted to show her, there's, I have more for you. When God talks about sin, it's never to say you are dirty. It's only because he wants us. He wants nothing to keep us away from him. In John 3.17, we read that God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to reconcile the world to himself, to save the world. So whenever there is sin, God wants to heal that. Amen? So the lady argues back and forth, and she says, you're an Israelite. How can you talk to me? You know, we're dogs in your eyes. You don't talk to us. We're unclean in your eyes. And, and she says, um, Jesus says, you, you think that God is uh, worshipped on this mountain, and Israelites think otherwise. And this could easily have turned into an argument as to who is right, because Samaritans believe a certain way. Israelites believe a different way. And they wouldn't, there was no reconciliation. So Jesus could very easily have gone into this endless argument as to why your worship is wrong, as to why you're not away from God, as to why your whole nation is not blessed by God. And oftentimes, and I've done this before, because I studied in the Middle East, where uh, you know, actually the majority of Lebanon is Muslim. So whenever I would have, I was in medical school, one of the, not hobbies, but the passion I had was to really engage in conversations. And a lot of times they would end not only in disagreement, but, but also into like, who is right? Who is wrong? Why is it right? Why is this wrong? And when I would exit that conversation, I would know that I didn't bring this person to Christ. I went into an endless argument that didn't bring that person any closer to Christ. And that person now thinks that I'm judging them. But what Jesus was doing here was something completely different. He says, I know, I know, you... you you don't, know, uh, you, you don't know the true worship of God, but I've come to show you why. I've come to show you what is it that's going to fill your tank so that you're set for eternity. Look what he tells her. He tells her, I'm going to give you a water that will not only be enough for yourself, but it, that will become a fountain and that will well up to eternal life. People oftentimes don't come to God because they don't realize what he can give them. For the first time, somebody was telling this lady, I'm going to offer you something so different than tradition. I'm going to offer you something so different than what your forefathers, your father, your mother taught you about God. Do right, don't do wrong, the rules and regulations. He says, for the first time, you're going to not only get water, but you're going to become a source of water. Can you imagine it's the first time that um, this lady was exposed to something that was not only going to fulfill her immediate need, but was also going to become a source in her life. People don't go away from that. So when we talk to God, when we bring a living gospel to people, we should focus on showing them the living Christ and why he is the fountain of life. So Jesus avoided that argument. He doesn't go into who's right and who's wrong. He tells her, listen. Time has come where all this will go away. What Israelites say, what you say, there will be only one thing that matters. And this is in verse 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. So you realize that he avoids all debates because he is after a point. He's after a heart. We should really stay away from debates because they only lead to discord. What Jesus is trying to do is get the hearts of that lady and heal that heart. And Jesus reveals himself to her, himself to her and says, I, the one speaking to you, I'm the Messiah. Because Jesus, uh, the Samaritans were also waiting for a Messiah. They just didn't know when and how. And Jesus reveals himself to her. Now, later on, this lady goes to, runs to the city and gives her testimony. She says, there was a prophet. He, he told me everything about my life. Nobody knows, knows about it, but he knew everything about my life. And they run to hear this message. Who is this person? Who is this guy? What is he talking about? And what at the end of the chapter, what, what you see at the end of the chapter is they turn to the lady and say, we no longer believe because what you told us, what we believe because we have heard it ourselves and know Again, that this man is the savior of the world. What happened is Jesus reached one person with the living message. He showed her why and where is the source of life. This was enough for that one person to run to the whole city. A lady who people know lives in sin, so people would probably stay away from her. So her message would otherwise not be received. But the whole city comes. They're curious at first. Many people come to Jesus just because they're curious. And they come to the front. They come to Jesus, and he gives them the words of life. And now they tell the lady, we don't believe because of the stories you told us. We believe because we've come to know the truth. In the words of Jesus, they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Amen? To close, I want to give you my testimony about this. As I alluded to it earlier on, going into medical school, um, you know, I was in that phase where I knew a lot about God because there was no Sunday I was in church with my brother. There was no Sunday we were, in we were not in church as a family. There was no lunch or dinner or breakfast we would eat without prayer first and prayer after. So we did all the things by the book, if you want. We, did all we went to the all the holy sites, touched every holy stone, if you want. So, you know, went to all sites in Jerusalem, but I never felt the truth. I never felt that relationship. And it was scary because you're going to... Golgotha, you're going to Jerusalem, you're going to, the, to every place, every side Jesus has been, and you don't feel anything. How is, how is that possible? Is this because it's not the truth? But one thing broke me. One thing. One day I attended a service, and I, there was my um, spiritual father, Pastor Kevork in Lebanon, was preaching a message about the gospel, obviously. And I was sitting in the back in my, I was a deacon in church in the Orthodox Church, and I was in the back. I was just there to check these people out. And I was just listening to the message. And when he, after the service, you know, people would feel peaceful and happy. All I had was migraine. And I walked home and I was nauseous. I said, what is this? <laughs> and I said, why am I feeling so upset and uncomfortable? It was because for the first time, truth was exposing me. And I said, if... All what I've done, if there's nothing more to this book than what I've known for 18 years, because I was 18, then I better quit Christianity. But if there is something true that this person spoke in the sermon, I want it. But it's the first time I expected it. I said, when you say you're a healer, I, wonder, I, wanna, I wanna experience it. When you say 
that you promise a relationship, I want to experience it. When you say, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, I want to experience it. When you say, I'm going to speak to you the truth, I want to hear it. And all I know, the next week I said, I'm going to go one more time just to check these people out again. I went again. After a few weeks of attendance and just checking and checking and checking, I knew I was in the back of the church. And there was a, uh, there was a song that was said, Lord, I give you my heart. And in the Orthodox background I had, at least, you pray like this. You can't move your hands. You can't clap. You can't move. And I was feeling, I can't do none of these things because I'm a deacon. I can't do these things. And then the words were saying, Lord, I love you. And I said, I don't, I've never felt love for the Lord. I know I should love him, but I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't touch him. How can I love something I don't see, feel, or touch? And I know if I don't love him, I'm going to go to hell. That's what I knew. It's not, I don't, do you, you know, it's, it's a very tough spot, believe me. So, um, and the words were saying, Lord, I give you my heart. They said, look, I'm going to try this one time. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to really try to open my heart. And as I was worshiping my hands, somebody pulled my hands open. And I came to close them. I said, I'm not doing any of these things. I actually closed my hands. And I kept singing. And with doubts rumbling in my head, you know, just... You know, high speed, all these thoughts. No, what if you're crazy? What are you doing? And then the second time, my hands opened again, spontaneously. And I closed them again. I said, Lord, I'm going to make this deal with you. If this is from you, I'll let it happen. I know you're powerful enough to stop it if this is not from you. So the third time, if something happens, I will know it's from you because I'm worshiping you. And the third time, I let it go, actually. And so the third time... My hands were wide open, and there was such warmth in my body. I was in tears, and I was screaming, I love you. This controlled guy who doesn't open his hands is now screaming, I love you. I was on my knees, and I fell on my back, and I stayed there for 20 minutes, worshiping. Nobody taught me how to worship. Nobody told me what to worship. Nobody told me words of prayer. But for the first time, I felt I, felt I had the water source. I felt I had the water he spoke about. I felt I had the relationship, and I knew the truth. When I walked out, I was a source. I went out to campus. I started ministering to people. See, when Jesus touches you, you minister to the multitudes. When Jesus touches you, you cannot hold it in because you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. Amen? And um, this is what we're doing at, in the community, Armenian community. And um, basically... I'm very grateful that Pastor Brian gave us the opportunity to, to use this premise, this church, this beautiful church, to do that outreach. And um, I was in medical, well, residency after medical school when God placed this on my heart to do something in my community. Because a um, few words about my community. I love my community, but Armenians are hard-headed. So, uh, so when they know something, even if it's you know, been told for centuries and it needs to be changed. They, they're not very willing to change. But God knows how to reach people. Amen. This lady was told so many things for so, many, so much time. She was a Samaritan. She had no reason to believe in Jesus. But Jesus touched her heart. Amen. So let's all take the call and all decide to touch someone with the truth this week. This remaining part of the year. Challenge yourself. If you don't know what to preach, I always say, tell someone Jesus loves them. You don't need much theology for it. Just tell them he died on the cross for them. One day I was actually at a, at a shop, in the, a coffee shop, and there was a lady uh, at the next, door, uh, next table, 
And I went and told her that Jesus loves her. She said, that's very offensive, you know, for us. We're Jewish people who don't believe in him. So, you know, I, I said, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but I understand how you feel, but know that he loves you. And that's how I left it. I didn't go into an argument, but you can do that. At least that. You can touch people and you can bring him to light. Amen? Amen. So, you know, the band can come if you, if you have a song. I would like to give an altar call to people. Just like Jesus reached that lady, there's no one who is too far to be reached. Amen? There's no person in this room, outside of this room, in this country, who is too far or too wrong with God to be reached. Amen? So I would, I would, for, I would welcome anybody who wants to make that commitment to God to come and so that we can pray together and say these words to God, that we commit our lives to spreading the gospel. We commit our lives to being your voice everywhere you go. Is there anybody who wants to do that commitment? Don't be shy. You can come forward so we can, you, you can, we can pray together. Or we can also do it from your seats if you're not comfortable coming forward. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads and all say it together. Father, we commit to be light in this world. We commit to bring your truth everywhere we go. Father, you hold the truth in your hands and we believe that your truth sets us free. Father, empower us. Empower us to be your face, to be your feet, to be your hands everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.